Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Um, good morning, everybody. It's Mother's Day. Uh, one more clap for all the moms in the house. Moms are awesome. Um, in the past, we've done sermons that honor moms and mothers-in-laws uh, on Mother's Day. Today won't be that exactly. I, I do think it's within every good mom's heart to be able to say, you know, you can tell me anything uh, in an effort to know, love, and support their children no matter what. And I think this is a genuine reflection of God's image and the love for his, crea- uh, for his creation that he bears in the image of all moms. Um, today, we'll actually be looking at how to ask our Father to advance our hearts through dangerous prayer, to search us and tell us what we need to know like the psalm just ended. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to ask you uh, to think about some actions that you can do in response to this. Uh, moms in the audience, this includes you too, but husbands, sons, daughters, you guys know what to do today. Moms in your life are a gift from God. So just think about that today. Love you, moms. Love you, mom. Um, So back to that psalm. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, it's a beautiful prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer. The psalm is attributed to David, the same David that killed Goliath and became king. And amongst his many talents, apparently he's a gifted musician and a poet. Like, I couldn't. I mean, I can't write that, right? Do you know anybody like that that is just good at everything they do and it kind of drives you nuts? <laughs> uh, so several years ago, one of my close friends did the following that I can remember off the top of my head. I'm going to remember. This is probably over the span of two years. Um, he wired his house for the internet. He built a coffee table, did professional wedding photography, taught drums, orchestrated original songs for a high school band, was an excellent chef, shot less than 80 in golf, and oh yeah, had a day job as a software engineer. He now works for Google, and he's a great friend. I love him to death, but he's that guy. You know, that guy. That guy who can do everything and declares it's super easy. One time he invited me over to his house and said, hey man, you know what we should do? We should like make gnocchi from scratch. <laughs> it's like super easy. Like, and, and so that's what David is. David is that guy. Like, he's a king. People love him. He can write poetry and songs. He plays instruments and he kills giants. Like, that's David. On top of that, he loves the Lord. He was called the good king or man after God's own heart. And you can read this in the undertone in the psalm where he says that he wants God's enemies to be his enemies. Ultimately, what we see in this psalm is that David, in the depths of his soul, wants to align his heart with God's. Now, forget Nyaki, forget killing giants. That's the type of man I hope I can be, I want to be. How does that sound to you? Would you want to ask God to align your heart with his? And what would that prayer even look like? Our home group went through a book recently called Dangerous Prayers by Craig Rochelle, if you know the author. And as the book suggests, he highlights three simple prayers. Search me, break me, and send me. And he starts off the book by asking a simple question. How lame are your prayers? 
He phrases it like this. If you have been given divine grace by the creator of the universe and accepted in his love, should having a good week or being safe during this drive be on the highlight reel? What do you want in the depths of your soul? What do you think God wants with your life? And are you earnestly praying that? Now, I'm using the term dangerous loosely here because it sounds dangerous to us because it's something uh, to achieve beyond what we can see for ourselves. It's dangerous because we're inviting the uncertainty of God's plan into, uh, and his story into our life as being better than what we can imagine. It's the idea of supplementing your prayers with ones of eternity in mind. And I want to be clear, it is not a prayer of God, show me what I can do in order to earn my way into heaven. It's not it. It is a response to God. You've already done so much for me and have promised me to be justified as worthy and good before you in heaven. So how can I use my life to bring glory to you here and now? What does it look like to pray dangerously? Our home group has slowly gone through the first dangerous prayer, search me. For weeks we've discussed what it means to pray this prayer and uh, we've discussed what God has revealed to us. And it's been great to do this in a group setting. I found this as um, a Bible reading plan a few years ago, and it was, it was a seven-day plan. It took me months to go through it. Because I would say, ooh, that prayer is tough. I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm going like, to do like a quick prayer. That I can check my box on my list and then forget about this, this reading plan exists. And I'll be honest, I I don't feel like I'm qualified to give this sermon. I still want to curl up and ask God to stay at arm's length because dangerous prayers are hard. Sometimes I get in a rut with my prayer life where I just don't pray very often. And even when I'm in a good swing, it's hard to pray things that are dangerous earnestly. Safe prayers are safe, but my heart won't be aligned with God's. And I know that that's desperately what I want, but it's what I desperately rebel against in in my conflicted soul. Paul mentions that this is not unexpected to anyone. I do not understand, he mentions in Romans, which we're going through, I do not understand what I do, for what, to, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So for anyone who's wondering why shouldn't this be easier, take solace in knowing that you're not alone, uh, but we need to be careful about getting too comfortable there. And today we're going to be talking about a life less comfortable and walk through the first chapters of Search Me. So search me, God, know my heart. Now, David, while being that guy, he was not a perfect person either. Who here has sent a man off to war hoping that he gets killed in battle so that you can marry his wife? (laughs) So by uh, by common definition, David's not perfect. And maybe he's not even a good person. I mean, current culture would say just by that last fact alone... He is not a good person. So while he's not, while he's not a perfect person for sure, he's often cited as a good man with a good heart. And this is a man who wrote this poem that we're reading through today as a transparent, vulnerable, honest, dangerous prayer to have his heart searched. So is David a good man with a good heart? Do you consider yourself to be good and have a good heart? Jeff quoted a Russian uh, author a few weeks ago, and it's a, it's a saying that I want to keep in my back pocket for the rest of my life. I don't know what the heart of a bad man is, but I know what the heart of a good man is. 
and it's terrible. <laughs> and this saying may be uh, easy or, uh, to agree to in theory, but in application, I know I still find myself defending my own goodness and my own heart. And by my heart, our hearts, uh, but my heart, our hearts don't always tell us the truth. Jeremiah says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The thing that is so quick to tell us what is right and wrong is deceitful and wicked. And we all have it inside of us. Now, if this is a little hard for you to digest and you think you have a good heart, I want to stay here for just a minute because I love the story. Jeff's told this a few times that he was at a Buddhist temple and right in the middle of the temple was a, it was either a picture or a statue of hell. I can't remember. And Jeff asked the monk, well, wait, this is in Buddhism too. Who goes there? I don't know what's going on here. Um, and the monk said, well, those are the people that do the bad things. And so Jeff asked the monk, well, how many bad things do you do? And after a little bit of deliberation, they agreed to about three times a day. And so, okay, let's do the math. Three times a day times 365 days a year is about 1,000 times a year times 80 years in your life. So let's say that's about 80,000 bad things. For someone who considers themselves good, that's a lot. The human heart is deceitful. So knowing that our hearts are wicked and deceitful, what the heck is David thinking in praying this prayer? Search me, God, know my heart. Like, that, that, that's dangerous, right? So let's go back to the first verse. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my faults from afar. You discern my going out. In my line down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, me, too wonderful for me to attain, too lofty for me to attain. So David knows that God knows everything. Can somebody help me with this? I don't know what's going on. It's working? Okay. All right. My ear. I got big ears. Uh, so David knows that every uh, David knows that God knows everything, including his own heart. And yet he concludes the poem with "Search me, God, know my heart." He's asking, but he knows that God already knows this. So I think he's doing two things with this. Number one, he's asking God to reveal things about him that he knows God knows, but he doesn't know. Have you ever asked someone something that you think you already know the answer to, but when they open their mouth, it's much bigger than what you expected? Or have you ever asked the question, what do you know about me that I don't know about me that you really don't even want to tell me about me? That's a scary, scary question. Number two, he's inviting God into deeper relationship. You already know what's wrong with me, but I'm inviting you to look inside me anyways. Like the kid who stands, who approaches you with a sullen face, cookie crumbles on his, uh, on his hands, inviting you to look into an empty cookie jar. There's a dejection, but there's also an acknowledgement of trust that that relationship is more important. You're not going to like what you see, but this is what I've done. And remember, this is a response not to an open critic, but to someone he trusts, to a loving father. He trusts God not to crush him. A God who is for us, not against us. So with these things in mind, 
Um, I'm going to ask, do you have people in your life right now that you could play the role of the kid with crumbs on his fingers or the parent in the room? Now, I believe that God works through both direct communication and through the people that are around us. And so do you have a person who could respond in truth and grace to the question, why did I steal these cookies, even though I knew I shouldn't? What is wrong with me that I don't know about myself? Think about that for a second, who that person is, and we'll come back to it at the end. Search me, God. Know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Now, I saw a physical therapist this past week because my neck is jacked up. This is 40. I know Jeff's uh, 52. I just turned 40 recently. And I've been seeing Carrie for over 15 years now, and I'm lying there on the table, and I've got my head in one of those little pillows that you can breathe through, and my arms are on my back, and I'm lying on my stomach, completely vulnerable. And as she begins grinding into that muscle between the top vertebrae and my skull, um, it's incredibly painful. And as she's grinding in there with 200 horsepower of thumb, she's, you know, just saying, just relax. And so I find myself through the blistering pain thinking, well, if I fear that she's really trying to hurt me, and if I don't listen to her, or if I tense up, bad things will happen. This pain is for the better, so just endure it. You know that you can get through it, and things are going to be great. And you know where I'm going through or with this analogy. Maybe it's a bad analogy because everyone knows that this whole experience lasted 30 seconds to a couple of minutes. And as the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt once said, you can withstand anything for 10 seconds at a time. And then you just start on a new 10 seconds. All you have to do is take it 10 seconds at a time. But there's a reason that that's a comedy show and not real life. Anxious thoughts can't be driven away by focusing on 10 seconds. So know my anxious thoughts. David, at this part in the poem, has established that he trusts God with his heart. And now is earnestly inviting God to share in his worst fears to face them and give them a name to trust that God is bigger. If the first line of the verse signifies David inviting God into deeper relationship, then this line is a show of his vulnerability in that relationship. Now, I think that part of God's plan has, is to share our fears and vulnerabilities with him and with each other, to bring, the surf, to, bring to the surface the darkness that's hiding within us. Uh, the author of the book, Craig Rochelle, shares one of his biggest fears in the book, a fear that he couldn't control the situation about his do- uh, regarding his daughter and her health. He concludes that God showed me that what I, fear the mo- or what I fear the most revealed where I trusted God the least. In the spirit of reflection, I'll share a fear of mine. I have a bad case of imposter syndrome, which is that I'm scared that I'm not good enough at anything that I do. And if anyone finds out, they're going to know that I'm an imposter, an imposter, fire me, not like me, or both. I desperately fear rejection and disdain from people, especially due to my lack of uh, knowledge or skill. So what does that say about me? What is the sin underneath the sin? It's probably that I don't believe God's view of me is enough and that I need the people around me to uh, make me feel good about who I am. And I know this, and God has been working through me since we started this prayer 
Uh, in a recent interview, I found myself using language that was really foreign to me, and that I am confident I'm the right person for this job, and here's why. And it almost felt like a surreal moment because on one part I'm interviewing and at the second part I'm reminding myself of God's image and purpose and value and my confidence that I can find through God's image of me. And I continue to think about how I am made good because of God, not just because of a job title. Slowly, I'm trusting his word and luckily he's stronger than my thick skull and my hard heart. What do you fear? Does that say anything about where you trust God? Have you brought it up to him? Rochelle says in the book that faith doesn't mean you don't get afraid. It means you don't let fear stop you. It is within us to long after what he has created us for. And we shouldn't be anxious about that. Uh, we can trust and pray that he will consider our anxieties as we ask him to search us. See if there is any offensive way in me. Speaking of anxious, David here is asking God to reveal knowledge of his worst aspects to him. Now, does that make you feel anxious? It makes me, this is the part that terrifies me the most about this prayer. God, in all your perfection, reveal to me anything and everything that's wrong with me. Like, that's terrifying of a prayer. Um, I was baptized when I was about 30, so 10 years ago now. And I remember Jeff preaching about this idea that as we come, as we delve further into our relationship with God, we understand the depths of our sin, the ugliness of our heart even more. And at the time, I thought, well, man, I must be pretty long because there can't be that much more. What a self-righteous idiot. And that's not to say that I'm still not a self-righteous idiot. It just means that hopefully I'm less so. But isn't that what makes this prayer all the more dangerous? Less so is still far, far, far away from the perfection demanded by God. And I act for the most part as if that wasn't the case. There is no fear. The, the, another psalm said, uh, written by David said, There is no fear of God before the wicked man's heart. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves to detect or hate their sin. Their words or their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. His son Solomon wrote a book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs, it's written that the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So I'm a wicked fool who doesn't fear God. Do you listen to advice? I'll ask, again, who are the people in your life who could reveal the most about you? Have you ever asked them to reveal your sinfulness to you in an effort to help you grow? As Groeschel puts it, we need, to, we need help to see the sin that's too difficult to see in the mirror because we are masters at rationalization. One day, man, that guy is driving way too slow, so you know what? I'm going to ride his tail. That'll teach him. And, and, it's, and really, it's... it's you know, there's a lot of people behind me, so I'm, I'm just sticking up for them. The next day, why are you riding my tail? Can't you see the speed limit? Like, I'm not going any faster than this, dude. It's easy to rationalize our own behavior, isn't it? So if you can't relate to that one, then I've got a, a or Groeschel actually has an incomplete list of things that may have popped in your head at one point. There's nothing wrong with looking at porn. Everybody does it. Besides, I could be doing much worse. I'm not hurting anyone. I don't have a temper problem. 
I wouldn't yell at you if you didn't do what you do. It's not my fault you make me mad. My drinking is not a problem. I just have a few beers to unwind. It's not like I'm chugging whiskey or anything. I'm not gossiping. I can't help that people tell me things. I'm just passing along information that's likely true. Besides, it helps others know what to pray. Gambling is not a problem for me. It's just entertainment. I can stop at any time. I'm not selfish. I just like nice things. I want what's mine. I've worked hard my whole life. I deserve a few good things in my life. Rationalization is the tool of the wicked man's heart. And that's what this, seek, this prayer seeks to do away with. See if there is any offensive way in me. Show me if I'm wrong, God. Show me if I need to change. The unfortunate answer here is you are and you do. So without the gospel, I think it's, I, I think it's easy to feel like the weight of this prayer, of how this prayer could just crush you. It could crush us. Every thought of malice or deceit or jealousy towards each other, every ambivalence toward injustice, every selfish action or scoff of love that someone has offered to you, every rationalization that your ill behavior was well-intentioned and therefore not sinful. It's more than three a day. It's more than 80,000 in a lifetime. But this is the point that I want to emphasize. The point of discussing just how imperfect you are is not to make you wallow in the depths of your despair. It's not to crush you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The point of these prayers is to say that you are forgiven for not achieving perfection. You couldn't and you can't. And thank you, Christ, for accepting and still loving such a wretched heart. What can I do out of thankfulness? And that's what this final line in this poem talks about. Lead me in the way everlasting. David mentions earlier in the poem that the ways of wickedness are in us. The, the wicked heart, the anxiousness, the rationalizations. And this way of wickedness may lead us to, uh, to do good things or to act to earn God's favor back. But that, too, is the path of sorrow. The way of everlasting we need to be led into. We cannot continue to push through our default behavior on our own. We need Jesus to lift the weights of our, off our shoulders in order to see both his abounding grace and his plan for us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's two broad-brush possibilities, maybe why. Number one, you think there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay and don't need help. Number two, you might be convinced that something is wrong, but you don't believe Jesus is the way. For both of these scenarios, I want you to hear this in the depths of your soul. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you are more loved than you ever dared hope. Jesus is that hope. If you are a follower of Jesus, I will ask you to think about what is your life's purpose. We know it's to bring glory to God. And the greater you understand the depths of your sin, the more he reveals your shortcomings and sanctifies, and the more glory that can be given to him, especially to those watching in your life. We shouldn't be satisfied with where you are. Don't coast in your growth. Don't coast in your awareness and love and praise and glorify of your God. And if you're thinking, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, man, so-and-so should really hear the sermon, 
it's true, they might. But this is about you. This is your sermon. This is my sermon. So how do we respond? Two ways of responding that I'm going to ask you to do this week. Um, and so if you find yourself on Saturday morning thinking, oh, I haven't done that yet. Uh, stop watching Saturday morning breakfast cartoons and do this. One, do, uh, pray a dangerous prayer. Even if that prayer is to have the courage to say a dangerous prayer, that's dangerous in itself. Uh, the search me prayer is tough, but remember, there are ones beyond this book uh, that we've mentioned. Uh, Break me and send me are the next two chapters, and those are tougher. <laughs> they are. Uh, my, bi my biggest takeaway from this book is to thank God for Jesus, because I love that he forgives a wimp. So work towards a dangerous prayer. Listen to what God says. Build a relationship with him through a dangerous prayer this week. Two, and this, uh, if you can do one, you can do two. Reveal your prayer or what was revealed to you to someone you, uh, who will tru uh, you trust who will respond in truth and grace. The same person that you were thinking about earlier. And if you don't have that, seek it out. God wants us to be in relationship with him and others. And I truly believe that he's the people in your life to accomplish his goals. If you want to join a home group or go to the men's breakfast, uh, know that there are people rooting for you to grow spiritually and are hoping that you're rooting for them to grow spiritually. Like I mentioned, when I first attempted this prayer, it was easy for me to hide in the shadows because I was the only one doing this prayer. But my home group grounded that friction from that prayer and rooted me on. They rooted me through it. And it's not just uh, people rooting you on. You could be the rooter, not just the rootee. I'm going to invite the band back up. Uh, we're going to offer communion this morning, which symbolizes um, what Christ has done for us. Over the next few minutes, you can have the opportunity to reflect or pray. And it could be a prayer of salvation, that you realize that you're broken and that you choose Jesus to surrender your life um, who has a better plan for you. You can come talk to me or Jeff or someone that you trust it could be a prayer of boldness to pray something bigger than safety. It could be a prayer of admission that your heart is wicked and you want to be searched. It could be a prayer for someone in your life to be vulnerable with. It could be a prayer that you dangerously forgive yourself for not being perfect and that you can give the weight of that to Christ. Whatever it is, God wants you to align your heart more to him and to pray something that could be dangerously good for you. Uh, Father God, it's easy to stay in the safety of the prayers where I rattle on and on but actually don't get to the meat of what I need you or want you to do in my life. God, give me boldness to seek out, to align my heart with yours, to seek out people in my life that can ensure that that is happening. God, I do a lot of wrong things. but I trust that you have forgiven me. Help me to appreciate that and do something with it. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.